Well, we are in week three of our series called Unqualified, a look at discipleship out of the Gospels or a study of discipleship out of the Gospels. And if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 16, that's where we will be camping out in two specific passages this morning. This is week three of the series I've entitled this message by invitation only. I first titled it Cost Overruns. And so if you're looking in your bulletin, it has a different name uh, (laughs) because sometimes we count the costs and sometimes the costs are greater than we imagined, but God is still in us with it or with us in it. And so uh, that's a different message for a different day. Uh, But today we're talking about what it means that Jesus pursues us and that we can follow him, but it's by his invitation and his invitation alone. This idea of discipleship, this idea of following, pursuing Jesus with everything that we have in us is something that the church is coming back to. I believe we've been in a season of time because, I would say in large part, because of the alignment of our culture at large and the alignment of the values of the church and how closely they have run together for a certain number of decades, maybe to suggest a certain number of centuries in this country, The gospel is much older than the United States of America. But for most of the time in this nation, the values that the nation ascribed to were the values of faith that we ascribe to as followers of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful, right? That we can live in a culture, we can live in a society that not only affirms but celebrates and backs and agrees with the way that we see the world through the lens of the gospel. That's a good thing. The hard part is that most of the time throughout history since Jesus, the church has thrived, thrived in spaces and places and in cultures that aren't in alignment with our way of seeing things, aren't in alignment with the hope of the gospel. And when light is brought to darkness, darkness is exposed and people come to know the Lord. It's difficult at times, though, sometimes, however, when we are in situations where it's just, oh, we all just agree. We all just get along. It's all just peaches and ice cream. We can get a little complacent. We can forget. We can back away from an understanding of God's word and just say, well, because the Bible told me so, which is great. But do we know what the Bible told us? Do we know what the word has to say to us? In the last couple decades, our culture has taken uh, a departure from the path that we were on. And going along, realizing coming back in the culture that we live in looks more like the cultures of the early biblical days, looks like the cultures of pre-Jesus days when Israel was following after Yahweh, was in exile in Babylonia, was in exile in Assyria, and had to be the light, the truth, the hope, the realization of the promise of who God is in a culture that didn't understand who He was anymore. Amen? So here we are. We're a culture, a subculture, a counterculture. People following Jesus in a world that doesn't know what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I would say it's good for the church to be looking looking afresh at discipleship to say, what is it that Jesus has actually called me to? And how can I make a difference in the lives of people who do not know him? So in this series, we're looking at a couple different goals. One, the hope is that each of us would take a step forward. 
one step further down the road, one step further along the continuum from being someone who simply believes in Jesus to being someone who follows Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a believer in Jesus may be what most people just call Christian. Still today, more than 60% of Americans in the United States would call themselves Christian. That's a good thing, right? But to be a follower of Jesus is a deeper commitment. Not one is better than the other, or people be ought more loved or respected or admired than the other. We're just along a continuum. But for those of us who have ventured further down the road towards Jesus, we have an opportunity to help others come and do the same. So that's our goal. Wherever we are in our faith, maybe we're brand new. Maybe we're ashamed to say, I don't even want to open up a Bible on Sunday morning because I couldn't find the place where you were going in the Word. Maybe I just want to look at my phone and flip like I'm pretending. That's okay if you're here. And that's, that's where we're at. Maybe you have a Bible degree. That's great too. But whatever it is, what does it look like for each of us to love Jesus today exactly where we are? And secondly, beyond taking one step forward, we want to find new and creative ways to align our actions with our beliefs. If we believe this, then we will do this. That's exactly what a disciple does. And as disciples... We are people who choose to embrace discipline. No, discipline seems pleasant at the time, the word would say, but difficult. Discipline is tough work. Discipline, according to my own experience, as I shared last week, I just thought about my own experiences with discipline and wrote down a definition. I came up with the fact that discipline is a purposeful denial of selfishness. That takes purpose, because I'm selfish in nature. I think about me a lot. Does anyone ever think about themselves a lot? Kind of the center of your day, (laughs) center of your own life, center of your own world. So discipline is the purposeful denial of selfishness in the false pursuit of comfort. I look for comfort in all the wrong places. And when I look for it in the wrong places, entertainment, food, laying around, gossip, shopping, sports, Whatever it is, whatever our false comforts happen to be from time to time, I'm denied the true comfort that is found in Jesus. The only problem with Jesus' comfort is it doesn't feel very comfortable to my flesh. It brings great comfort to my soul, but it attacks my flesh because it doesn't feel good in the body, but I know in my soul it's right to pursue Him, to go deeper with Him, So to be a disciple is to deny false pursuits of comfort in pursuit of a common good that is greater than just me. That it has to be about other people. Jesus chose these disciples, the ones that he took, the ones that we're studying, we know to be in weeks past in our study that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And his selection of these individuals was in fact an indictment against the religious leaders of the day. The Jewish people, God's favorite oldest friends in all of history, were being indicted by the one who created them because they had lost their way. They honored God with their words, but their hearts were far from Him. And coming in a new way to say, I have bigger dreams, I have bigger purposes for you, nation of Israel. Going back to the beginning, it was the job of the Israelites to bless the whole world. 
to bless the whole world. And Jesus says, I'm not done with that plan. I'm just coming at it again in a way that will knock you off your comfortable spaces, your predictable places. I'm going to show you something different. So when Jesus came and he chose 12 that would take the New Testament church from Jerusalem to Casino Road over the course of a few millennia, he would choose those who everyone else overlooked. And in the process, he would say, guess what? You're a part of this plan too. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but I'm unqualified. But God says, I qualify you. That's what got us here. If we're feeling unqualified, if we're feeling things like there's things in our past that keep us from doing the work that God has called us to, I got good news. We're back in the game. It's time to play again. It's time to go forward in faith again to say, I want to be used by you, Lord. Do something with me despite the fact that I am unqualified. When God chose the 12, when Jesus told the 12 ordinary men, he was saying, guess what? I'm doing a new thing. Each one of these to represent a tribe of Israel. But they're not scholars. They're not priests. They're not prophets. They're just people. He calls people. And it's through our interaction with the text, the interaction with the gospel, that we began to realize that Jesus is calling us too. The more we read these stories, we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm, I can be used by him. But he's got a purpose for me. But we have to grapple, wrestle with the text. Read it from the different perspectives of the different gospel writers to see what it is that they uniquely brought to the story and find that it all aligns with itself. It all comes back to the fact that the Lord will use the broken and the poor to accomplish his purposes. By invitation only. Our main point this morning, our pursuit of Jesus as his disciples is impossible apart from God's grace. Our pursuit of Jesus as his disciples is impossible without his grace. He's the one that comes to us. He's the one that starts the process. We'll see how that plays out in the word this morning. We also know that both the costs and the rewards of this pursuit will be greater than we anticipated. Both the costs and the rewards of our pursuing Jesus based on his invitation, they're going to be greater. Right? Vaughn, you could probably tell us that you working with city life has cost you more than you anticipated, right? What's it cost you? Just in the flat. I mean, what are some things that's cost you working with City Life kids? Time, personal space. What else? Gas. What else? Money. What else? What have you got that you didn't expect to get out of it? Love. Love and relationship. Was it worth the cost? Would you give it back and go the other way? No. That's it. As we grow as disciples, the cost will be greater than we imagine. So if you want to sign up to City Life, it will only cost you your time and your gas and your personal space and some of your energy. So come on out Tuesday nights. It's awesome. Guys are cooking a meal on Tuesday night this week if you want to come out. If you're a guy, you want to come cook a meal, eat with kids. It's going to cost us more. It's going to, we're going to receive more because of it. And it's going to come on a need-to-know basis. 
Everything that we need to know about the plan will come on a need-to-know basis. That means when we step out to pursue, he ain't going to tell us all of it. Rich came up to me after after service last week, and he works at a shipyard. I went to visit him at work this week. And some guys come up and ask him questions about things that he can't talk to them about. And they say, well, what's going on with that? And Rich will say, it's none It's none he goes, yeah, it's none your business. <laughs> so sometimes we come to God and say, we don't know what you're doing with us right now. And he goes, don't worry, it's none your, none your business. Just keep going. If I told you, you'd turn around and go the other way, so none you. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Every week I'm asking, what's the Lord putting on our hearts? What are we supposed to do as the collective body at South Everett Foursquare? We won't do it unless we have a biblical framework that allows for us to do the scary thing, which is to wander off into the nunya with Jesus. we got to know some stuff about who he is from his word if we're going to do it. It's in his infinite grace, remember this, that Jesus invites us into our pursuit of him. He knows the end from the beginning, and he goes before us. How do we know that God goes before us? Because his word says he does. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself, this is to the Israelites wandering around in the desert, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Put whatever it is you feel like the Lord might be calling you to as an individual In the context of this verse, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This phrase, will be with you, he will never leave you, is one word, one word in the Hebrew, Rafa. It means he will never sink down, relax, be quiet, or abandon us. Isn't that good to know? That the Lord, as we pursue Him, will never sink down. He will never relax. He will never be quiet. He will never abandon us. He will not be slothful. The Lord will not be slothful or feeble or weak. He won't be any of those things. The Lord will not be disheartened. He will be with you. He will never leave you. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. The Lord goes before me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. What does that mean? It means I'm hemmed in. It means I'm safe. I can abide in Him shall follow in the hebrew radaf radaf it means to chase down to hunt down to pursue you ever chased something down or hunted something down or pursued right a lot of times we associate that with scary evil dangerous things Something's pursuing us, but it's with goodness and mercy that are coming at me with such relentlessness that once they get a hold of me, they'll never let me go. Not evil and terror and fear. Goodness and mercy will follow me as the Lord leads me. What is he asking us to do? 
When we see it through a biblical landscape, the thing he's asking us to do isn't so scary anymore. Because we know that he goes before us. He will not relent. He will not relax. He will not be quiet. He will not be slothful. He will not be weak. He will not be feeble. In goodness and mercy pursue me. Put that thing he's asking you to do in that framework. You think about how many times in life that either ourselves or people we know are asked to venture off into something. They have no idea how they how to do it, and they feel absolutely alone. Have you ever done that? you ever ventured into something? Maybe it was the first day of junior high or high school or college, or maybe it was the day you got married, or maybe it was the day you had a baby, or maybe it was the day you lost a job and had to find a new one, or maybe it's some of the young people on our street that are lacking the moms and dads that can teach them the good word of the Lord that says, guess what? God's before you, but he's after you too. Don't worry about it. We know how it feels to be alone in those spaces, though. It's terrifying to be alone. Every once in a while, it happened last night. It's happened two times. Two times when I felt so horribly, terribly alone for no good reason. One was in New York City in 2011. To the extent that I felt alone that I was weeping weeping, feeling alone and kind of confused because I had no idea why I felt so alone. But the Lord said, it's so you know how it feels. And that happened again last night for whatever reason. Just felt so horribly alone. I wasn't alone. And people with me. But trying to go to sleep, just feeling this desperate sense of loneliness. And the Lord says, I'm reminding you again. Because there's people in your context now that feel so horribly, utterly alone that I need you to feel this for a minute so that you stay on point. That there are individuals walking around who are harassed. There's individuals who are walking around that are feeling helpless. They're like sheep without shepherds. And in the gospel it says that Jesus saw sheep without shepherds, people that were helpless and harassed, and he had compassion on them. Because he would know the feeling of isolation too when he hung on a cross. Like a way like none of us would. People are wandering through this life with no support. We have all the support in the world. We have a resource to give away. What do we talk about in terms of giving resource away? We can't outgive the giver. As we give the little bit that we have to someone who feels alone, we are going to show a person what it looks like to follow Jesus People right around us that don't have the support that we have, how will they know? They're going to know because of us, because we're going to provide support. We're going to say, come after me. Hey, follow me. Hey, let's go play soccer. Hey, let's go to a vacation Bible school. Hey, let's go to camp. Hey, let's follow up with a phone call of goodness and mercy that says it was really good to see you. Can we do that again sometime? It's just life and relationship. It's taking a bunch of kids to Dairy Queen on Good Friday and then having memories of that follow up over and over and over again. I took a guy in the recovery program to Walmart one night in Squim. We were building a camp out there at Kingsway, and we just went and goofed around at Walmart and rode little bikes. And all. There was like 20 of us. It was crazy. Take 20 guys in recovery to Walmart at 11 p.m. and Squim. That's some good times. <laughs> I still see Vince. This was seven years ago. I see Vince. Vince walks up to me, just goes, Walmart. He gets a smile on his face, walks the other direction. We follow up. Right? It's just living life together. 
We've decided to follow Jesus. It's going to take steps of courageous faith, but we're going to see stuff that we couldn't see once we take that step because God's going to meet us there. He never calls us into something that he's not equipped to lead us through. Never, ever, ever. Let's take a look at how this plays out in Matthew 16 because all these things that we've been talking about are exactly what the disciples were feeling. I'm falling after this Jesus. There's this guy running around my town baptizing people, being baptized himself, going to the desert, spending time alone with God, coming back with teaching and authority and healing power. Who is this man? We live on the other side of the outcomes, right? We know exactly who he was, but the revelation of God in the Gospels was so fresh. No one had any idea what was going on. No idea. There's adventures like that that are available to us today, that we could take a step of faith, a leap of faith into an adventure. Todd could probably come up here for the next hour talking about how scary it's going to be to follow Jesus into where he's calling hand in hand in the next 12 months. The things to do, the people to see and touch and bring hope to. But it's going to be a wild adventure. But God's with him in it every day. The Gospel of Matthew is divided into three distinct sections. There's the introduction into Jesus' ministry. This is chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 16. It's his birth, his baptism, his wilderness, wanderings. The second phase of ministry is Jesus' ministry to the public primarily. This is 4.18 through 16 and 20. A lot of healings going on, a lot of miracles going on. The Sermon on the Mount happened. But hostility was building. We've been talking about that in the weeks past. Jesus chose 12 because hostility was building. He was doing things that were making the people in charge upset. Hostility was on the rise. And he knew that he had to empower a group of people to go. Anyone sense a rising level of hostility in culture today? This is the call back to discipleship. Because we have to be adequately prepared to walk through the issues that our society faces with grace and truth. We have to be disciples who follow Jesus to do this. That was his public ministry. Finally, the third part is the road to the cross and the resurrection. This is where Jesus begins to predict his death. It's where he teaches a lot on humility and forgiveness. It's where we see his active passion and his victory over sin. Things were changing. I'll throw a photo up here. This is when I was thinking about how things shift, how things change. Being a disciple, it's a little bit like the phases of... Nope, back one. We'll get to that one. Being a disciple is a little bit like this. It's a little bit like being the same thing. Chemically, the same thing. Physically, the same thing spiritually, but existing in different stages, in different phases. Cause and effect. The rising temperature of H2O does certain things to a solid, right? It takes a solid and at zero degrees Celsius turns a solid into a liquid, right? Did I get the temperature right? Right? Okay, yeah. Zero degrees. And then when it gets to 100 degrees Celsius, 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 
liquid turns into gas. There's a cause and there's an effect. As disciples of Jesus Christ, there is cause and there is effect. This can be applied to hydrogen and oxygen brought together in a chemical compound. It can also be applied to God's kids, to us today. Everywhere we go, we are us. We bear the image of God from the day that we're born to the day that we die. If we're in prison or if we're making movies or getting A's or flunking out of school or being missionaries or slamming dope in our our veins, whatever it happens to be, these are things that we see throughout the week. We still bear the image of Jesus all the time. Everywhere we go, we are who we are. It doesn't change his pursuit of us. It doesn't change his invitation to us to come do something differently. When Richard McAdams, my friend on Easter, sat up here and talked about how he was moments from death, laying in an alley in Pioneer Square, God still pursued him with the same veracity that he pursues me in that moment. March 13th, 2013. Isn't it amazing how the Lord brought us together? The Lord saw all that. He goes, guess what? I'm thinking about an Easter in six years. I'm going to take this dude and that dude and put them in a place that neither of them have context for and let them share the hope of the gospel. Won't that be neat? Don't you think he still has that plan now? Everywhere we go, we are us. Water has chemical, physical, and spiritual properties. So do we. Water can be a solid, a liquid, or a gas. God's kids can be observers on the discipleship pathway the continuum we can be observers we can be believers we can be followers right can a solid turn into a liquid can a liquid turn into a gas can the gas turn back into a liquid or a solid sometimes right so if you've ever felt like you've reached the ascent of being a follower of jesus and now you feel like you're barely an observer god's got grace to bring you back in humility to keep us from falling back into places where we used to be that we aren't anymore. Our text study this morning comes from Matthew sixteen thirteen through 28. This passage straddles a really important point right here. This point where the disciples would go from believers in Jesus to followers of Jesus, and it came because of the pursuit of Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's an invitation from Jesus. Hey, hey, we've been around for a while. What are are people saying? Interesting context in which he would ask this question, because Caesarea Philippi was to the north of Israel. It was way up there at the top. Previously, before it was Caesarea Philippi, It was Panius, named after Pan, the Greek god of the forest. That's what the city was called. But then it was renamed after Augustus Caesar and Herod Philip. It was renamed. And so it was named after a god, then it was named after leaders. And Jesus goes to this city that's so focused, this context that's so focused on identity, Cities named after previous things. And Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? In a place that's so focused on identity, who do they say that I am? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. 
and still others say Jeremiah are one of the prophets. That's what everybody else says. That's great. It's easy to say what other people say. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? If we're talking about temperature in Fahrenheit, we're moving from like 209 to 10 to 11 because water boils at 212, right? We're moving there. Things are bubbling. Steam is barely starting to rise. Jesus is pushing them to a new place, transitioning them the same spiritual, physical, chemical properties. He's transitioning them into a different place. Who do people say that I am? This was such a critical moment. Simon Peter, of all people, says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. 2.12. Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and by blood, but by Father and by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. Peter, Petro, rock. His name meant rock. And on this rock, some believe the rock was Peter. Still, you know, we don't know exactly what Jesus will think, and we'll ask him someday. Some think, on this rock, on Peter, I will build my church. Some people say that it wasn't so much about him, but his confession. On your confession that I am Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Maybe it was both. Because we can actually see that Peter did a lot in the New Testament to see the church built up. But it was the confession of Jesus as king of his church that has propelled the church forward. This was a critical moment. The church from the very beginning was never a building. It was the ecclesia, church in the Greek, ecclesia. It's the gathered people filled with the Spirit who are followers of Jesus. Verse 19, it says, Jesus goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. By invitation only. Hey, who do you say that I am? Hey, want to follow after me? Hey, want to lay your life down? What's going to happen? None yet? Just come on. In this room, we might find ourselves on either side of this pivotal point. I would suggest that many in here, most in here, are believers. What I'm trying to do in this series, my goal, I will be transparent, I'm trying to kick you down the curb a little bit into a dangerous space that might make you a little uncomfortable. I love doing that with David. (laughs) I've been kicking David down the curb towards uncomfortable for about 10 months, and it's good stuff. And he's responding to it well. He's saying, I want more. I want more. It's good. Robert, holy smokes. Kicking you down the curb. Jesus is just like, come on. None of your business. Just come on. Here we go. I know that in my own discipleship journey, I confessed Jesus as my Savior when I was 11 years old. But I was just a believer. Confessed Him as my Savior. It took six more years before I submitted to Jesus as my Lord. As the one that I could say, I surrender all. And then it wasn't even all because I'm in a work in progress. And every day the Lord says a little bit more, a little bit more. Oh, you will step back. That's all right. We'll go back. I'll wait for you. I'm patient. Lord's patient. 
little bit more, a little bit more. We give him lordship of our lives every single day. He invites us. He initiates every instance in which we follow him. And it's impossible for me to pursue him outside of his grace. He comes and he leads me. Jesus is my good shepherd. His goodness and mercy follow me. This is an invitation only kind of situation. In his great grace, God allows for hardship and suffering in the lives of his believers, in the lives of his followers. He allows for this kind of stuff. I'd have to say that I've experienced hardship in my life because of faith. I've yet to experience suffering. I would bet that there are some in this room that I could learn some from about suffering for their faith. Suffering. I've known some stories and I imagine that there's suffering there. I've endured a hardship. But he says hardship and suffering. The people who have endured hardship and have endured suffering are the ones who are most intimately connected with Jesus and the people we want to spend time around. I'm constantly looking to spend time with people that are enduring hardship and maybe suffering for them for them for their faith because they know more than I do about what it means to be intimately close to Jesus. This allowance for hardship and suffering is a tough pill to swallow. For those who are new to faith in Jesus, it's a tough pill to small for, for many of us. But the question that becomes for us today is, how will we know when we are following after Jesus wholeheartedly? How do we know that? It's a good discipleship question for us. It's a good gauge for us. How will I know when I'm following him wholeheartedly? I would suggest that a good key performance indicator for that question would go something like this. We will know that we are following Jesus wholeheartedly when there is space for hardship, when there's space for framework or space for suffering in the framework of the gospel that we confess. Do we confess a gospel that leaves room for suffering and hardship? Or when do we go through a hard time, do we say, God must be punishing me for something? I must be a bad, bad, bad man because God is punishing me. He must hate me. He must not be good. Or does my gospel proclaim when I go through hardship or suffering, and again I tell you I have suffered not for the gospel. Haven't done it yet. Many have. Do I say, isn't God good that he would count me worthy of suffering for the sake of his glory? Because he suffered. Interesting when we think about discipleship. Do we have a framework big enough for a theology of suffering and hardship? It's how we lead people through pain, by the way. We don't try to explain it away. We don't try and sugarcoat Jesus. We just say, yep, it's really hard right now. Can I sit with you? Can I be the active presence of Jesus with you right now? Enable in my own strength to solve this problem, but closely associated with the God who can. And just not say much. Just be. A guy reached out to me on email yesterday, and I think it's part of why I felt so lonely last night, because the Lord's like, I want you to feel what he's feeling right now. This guy that's bounced from congregation to congregation. Haven't met him yet. We've just exchanged some emails. Desperately in need of the grace of God, knowing that he can't be well in his own strength. And my heart just grieves. And I hoped he'd come today. But I'm sure we'll connect at some point. I can't fix everything he's going through. But I could be present. Right? That's discipleship. 
want to show you a little bit more of my own journey. Last week I showed you the wheel, the map, right, that helps connect my beliefs to my behaviors. There's all sorts of little things I do to work as a disciple. I work this stuff out. It's not easy. We work it out. If we can put this picture up. This is from my journal. This is 2015. I've been journaling pretty consistently for about five years. It's changed my life. It really has. And so you go back and you see these things. But I wrote this on a Thursday in 2015. Men's group. What circumstances in your life have brought about revelation concerning the truth of the gospel? The hard times. Where have I been through hardship? And what has it taught me about who Jesus is? I just did a timeline in my life. There's 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, 35 years old. I'm almost 39. There's more X's, by the way. I went through a really difficult moment when I was 11. Very, very difficult. In reflection... In that difficulty, there was a revelation from God that says there is a God who loves me. When I was 17, I went through another really, really difficult moment. The outcome was that there's a God who calls me. These are the worst, most difficult moments of my entire existence. But we could come up with these. How are you associating those things today? What have you gleaned from the pain? What have we gleaned from the hardship? 23. Really difficult day. So glad my wife was there with me to forgive me of all of my past. There's a God who forgives me. 32 years old. Really, really difficult day. There's a God who renews me and refines me and restores me. 35. Really difficult day. I mean, these are the days that you just don't, you're not sure if you want to keep following Jesus. The days where you're ready to throw in the towel, these are the days. Do you have those days when you're just ready to give up? God restores, he renews the pain, and in the midst of it, he's building something that cannot be experienced but for the pain. God will use the pain. Romans 8.28 says, For the Lord will work for the good in all things for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. When we understand that pain is a good thing, not in the moment, but in the long run, we're going to embrace it and the world's going to think, what do they got that I don't got? Because I'm ready to cash it in. And some people do. When we operate with this kind of theology about pain and hardship, an invitation that Jesus invites. He invited me into every one of those moments. You don't think he stood on the other side and said, guess what he's going to go through? Guess what he's going to learn? Guess what? I still got about 60 more years on the other side of this. There's all sorts of X's coming, but he's going with me. He's before me. His goodness and mercy follows me through every single one of these things. 35. There's a God who calls me to die. Oh, that was the hardest day. Pride, plans, purpose, just let it all go. Since then, there's a few more X's along the line that says, it's okay when you fail, because I'm going to use it all. And here we are today. By God's grace, sometimes we have really good days. Today's a good day. Today's a good day. Celebrate the goodness of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not every day are we going to feel like getting up and praising Jesus. So on the days when we do, we better talk about how good he is. And then keep making X's on the line and redeeming them by the blood of Jesus. The moments of greatest revelation have coincided 
with my moments of greatest pain. I wrote that down because I forgot I said it. I forgot I thought it. I forgot I learned it. Good thing we can go back and remember all the things that we forgot along the way. That's why I write stuff down. Something shifted in that moment upon that confession. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and then raised to life. (laughs) Peter takes a step back, right, from this moment of, right? I have confessed Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as good of all things. He's the rock, but he becomes a stumbling block when he says Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked. Can you imagine that? Rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my methetes, my disciple, used 269 times in the New Testament. They must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Where are we at? Where are we at? Last slide. Put that up there, John. If we got one more up there. Maybe not. There's some questions. There it is. Oh, that's another one. Uh, I went, so, supposed to talk about this. Go back to that real quick. About discipling people. Go back to that picture. About discipling people. This, this is Katrina's sixth grade class she teaches at King's Schools. And so this is all 90 sixth graders that got to go away this week to talk about what it means to be hemmed in by Jesus. He goes before us. Goodness and mercy will follow us. But then we actually have to be around for each other. And we got to sit in a cabin full of sixth grade boys and listen to their fears about going into junior high and saying, you're not alone. You don't have to walk this alone. That's a picture of what it looks like. That's discipleship. There's kids on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights look just like those kids. Just as wild, just as crazy, just as expensive, just as time-consuming, just as invader of spaces. I mean, they just do all of that, right? But it's what God has called us to right? Kids like that will show up in this room Tuesday night. They'll show up here Thursday night. We can come and be here. They show up at Horizon. Tyrone goes, we can go and be there. We can be with these kids. So think about this for ourselves. What's the big dream? What's the thing that God is calling us to? What's the thing that Jesus would have you follow after him about that's going to require some self-denial? I think he's chasing after a foster kid right now. Some level of self-denial. Imagine and share a few of these outcomes. What could be? We know the scary stuff, but find somebody after service and say, you know what, here's what scares me about what God's calling me to, but I'm imagining some great outcomes as a result of it. Right? By invitation only. He reveals things to us as we go. And as... We confess him as Christ. The whole playbook opens. And Jesus opened the playbook immediately to the death of self in this life. Not necessarily 
Death, death. I mean, that happened to some of them. It won't happen to all of us. But dying to self. I must go to die so that I might be resurrected. It was the first time he told the disciples that. It came immediately after the confession of Jesus is Lord. So look out. When we make those confessions, he says, here's the playbook. It's full of funny little X's along the way. But don't worry, I'll redeem them all. All right? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. For this time. For this space for the work that you're calling us to, for your word that's true every day. Would you take us, redeem us, put visions in our hearts, see good things happen. Good things are already happening. Lord, you're providing. We pray in advance for our vacation Bible school. We pray in advance for the time that we're going to get to spend at Horizon Elementary this summer. You're going before all of that, and goodness and mercy are coming behind us, so we're hemmed in. We're okay. Give us courage to follow you to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and be your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.